Hello, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. I'm Bruce Edwards. In this podcast, how governments could potentially triple per capita income. Government is an absolutely crucial and fundamental input to development. It's what we call the 300% development dividend of good governance. Daniel Kaufman heads the Natural Resource Governance Institute and co-produced the worldwide governance indicators used by the World Bank. Kaufman also published an article in the September 2015 edition of Finance and Development magazine entitled Corruption Matters and focuses on governance issues in Latin America. People in development, when a country is, is said to have governance issues, Generally, that's interpreted as corruption. It's like code for corruption. You say that it's broader than that. Uh, What are we talking about when we're talking about governance? We're talking about the rules of the game, the institutions and traditions by which a country is is governed, by which its, its leadership is also monitored, selected, and replaced. And we're really talking about three distinct dimensions of governance, which we need to approach in a very concrete way. One is the economic dimension of governance, and that we, in fact, we measure it every year with indicators uh, about the quality of the public service, as well as the, the quality of the regulatory framework, because that's the economic dimension is a capacity to formulate good policies and regulations and delivered public services to the population. There's a political dimension of governance, which is the extent to which there is voice, transparency and accountability in in the country, that there are uh, democratic systems, as well as the extent of political stability and absence of major violence and terror. So that's also other indicators and components of governance. And the third last but not least dimension is the institutional respect by which the interaction happens between state and the citizens. And that covers two key indicators and subcomponents. One is rule of law. And we're talking about the application, the implementation of rule of law, not just what's in the books, as well as control of corruption. So I just mentioned three overall dimensions, each one having two subcomponents, so it's six indicators, only one of which was control of corruption. So it puts in perspective the issue that corruption is something uh, very insidious, it's very costly, but much narrower than the broader notion of governance. So how do you uh, go about measuring uh, governance um, and uh, do you think it's a better way to measure development and, and growth than the traditional GDP model? Actually, I think they're totally complementary. They're not substitutes because governance, the way we just defined it, is an absolutely crucial and fundamental input to development and also to growth. In fact, one of the research findings we have one of the major ones with this whole database and indicators we have built over the past 15 years. This is with a colleague at the World Bank. We have been doing that, and we just released the update for, for this year. In the finding is what we call the 
development dividend of good governance, meaning that a country that has a leadership and a resolve to enact governance reforms, rule of law, control of corruption, government effectiveness, and does it over a period of time, in the long term, it can expect a tripling of its per capita income from $3,000 per capita per year to $9,000, or from seven to $21,000 a year. It's a major payoff, major dividend of good governance. In other words, we need both. We need to continue having the development outcome measures as well as continue to develop and having better and better measures of governance, which is a key input to development, rather than thinking that they are substitutes. Mm. Um, so out of the six indicators that you mentioned that you use to measure governance, um, corruption obviously is one that a lot of people can relate to, and it, not only in the, in the developing world, but in Europe and in North America. Uh, your research suggests that, that the, the nature of, of corruption itself in advanced economies is somewhat different, and you attribute it to what you describe as um, the, the privatization of public policy. Uh, what do you mean by that? Um, as, as a country develops the ways by which corruption manifests itself also develop and morph they change and they become more, more subtle um, the issue of running afoul of the law it can be more costly so there are extra legal methods or sometimes even within the confines of the law that loopholes an unethical behavior takes place. One type of manifestation is the undue influence through political campaign finance, which in some countries is still happening within the confines of the law because they have not yet reformed the law. The United States is one such ex example. So there is enormous undue influence by very few individuals were, uh, and corporations, which are incredibly uh, powerful. We have labeled that as legal corruption. And in extreme cases, well, what, for instance, in, uh, for a long time, what was happening with oligarchs in, in the former Soviet Union, and the way they, they managed to appropriate assets and, and so on, it was not always totally outside of the existing laws of the moment. That's legal corruption. We also label that some of these manifestations as capture of the state or state capture. And once one looks at that very insidious type of corruption, one cannot escape the notion of whether public policy is taking place really for the public good or for the benefit of a few elite individuals. If it's the latter, and it's happening through these forms of, of corruption, is what, it's the why I have suggested, a bit for provocation, that rather than having the traditional definition of corruption, the traditional definition of corruption being the abuse of public office for private gain, one should focus on a definition like the privatization of public policy, where a few potentates have so much power that if eventually the rules of the game, the laws, the policies, the regulations are adopted, are enacted for the benefit of the few. That's very interesting. Um, it, the, you'll be participating in, in the, uh, the IMF's annual meetings in Lima, Peru this year. 
Um, how is that region doing in terms of uh, governance? Well, let me s say, uh, as a Latin American myself, I'm a proud citizen of Chile. Um, the, the region is just so dear to me. And from that perspective, I think we need to be very frank with ourselves that we're not doing as we should be doing. We could do, be doing much better as a region in terms of governance. The bottom line is that over the past 10, 15 years, there are a few areas of governance and a few countries that have, have made inroads and in terms of some of the macroeconomic issues have been handled better in terms of some of the financial transparency, budgetary transparency, and uh, transparency in procurement, there have been significant inroads. But when it comes to non-economic areas of governance, particularly the political dimensions of governance, including these issues of undue influence I'm talking about, and when it comes to the institutional aspect of governance, in terms of rule of law and in terms of um, these issues of controlling corruption, we have stayed behind. We need to feel very proud and fortunate that we are a region at peace. I just came back from the Middle East, which is ablaze in many, in many ways. And in that sense, we made major progress. We made major progress also in terms of democratic transitions. But in terms of these other areas, we, if anything, we have fallen behind. I'd like to ask you about uh, commodities. Uh, your research shows that um, resource-rich countries, in other words, countries that export commodities, have a, a, a worse uh, or you know, they have a worse governance and, and corruption control uh, than other countries do. Um, how do you think the the falling commodity prices will play out in those countries? And is it an opportunity, perhaps, for these countries to do some governance reform as they, they try to diversify their economies? Absolutely. And this point and this question applies globally. So definitely for Latin America, but beyond. It is in the data and very clearly that countries which are rich in resources, oil, gas, and mining in particular, um, have deteriorated on average in terms of the quality of governance, including control of corruption and, and rule of law, particularly in those, in those two areas over the past dozen years or so. These were the same years of what we call the super cycle, the, the price boom in, in, in commodities. When they made lots of profit. Made a lot of profit, and, but there are political economy reasons by which the, the, those are not the times. Times of booms are not the times where the incentives are for implementing major reforms. Everybody is basically just trying to share in the bonanza. But now many of these countries are hurting. They're under major fiscal stress. So this is the moment. It's a perfect storm because a combination of many countries in crisis, whether because of the fall of economic prices or because of corruption or related scandals, it's clear the tolerance for corruption and impunity is much lower now. So civil society, the citizens basically are demonstrating much more and demanding much more change and much more accountability vis-a-vis -vis the, the government. So. Tough times or crisis in many countries is when reforms can happen. Let's not waste it.
That was Daniel Kaufman, president of the Natural Resource Governance Institute and author of Corruption Matters, published in the September 2015 edition of Finance and Development magazine. You can read the full article by going to imf.org slash FND, that's F-A-N-D-D, or download the FND app to read the magazine on your mobile device. And for more podcasts like this one, go to soundcloud.com slash imf dash podcasts.